Well, good morning. It's really good to see everybody. Let's go ahead and uh, start finding our seats and we'll get started here soon. So we're going to continue what we were looking at last week. It certainly um, fits together with the discussion that was going on last week when we're looking at instruction in Deuteronomy that is given to different leaders in Israel. So one comment that was even made at the beginning last week was just to identify that God has given Israel, his chosen people, he's called them out and he has, he has a land for them. They're about to enter into the land. And what we really have seen already and was very much clearly on display last week is that this is not an experiment that they're just to go in and kind of evaluate what's going to work best and adjust accordingly. God has a plan for them of what they are to do, how they're to do it, why they're to do it, and how it's to reflect his character. And so even as there are going to be leaders appointed into these different roles, there are qualifications for these leaders. There are ways to evaluate whether or not someone actually is uh, a true or false uh, leader. Uh, someone. Uh, so if you think of even... We'll see that clearly this week when we look at prophets in chapter 18. But last week as we were walking through in 16 and 17 of Deuteronomy, we saw that the judges that were to be appointed in Israel were to be judges that would reflect the righteous character of God. And so the basis for judges acting justly is uh, they're appealing to the character of God. So a judge was not to deal... With partiality. There's no partiality in, in, in biblical justice. Uh, there was no place for a judge to take any bribes. And so those are the type of instructions that were given in what justice should look like. And so then we even looked at the role of ki the king in Israel, a godly king. God's king would be a man of God's book. And so as we walk through the qualification, of, there, there was more to it than just being godly. The, Israel's king was to be an Israelite, and, um, but, but it was certainly to be a man who believed and obeyed the word of God. And so the practical application, even for the king being very much familiar with the word of God, was that the king, like the first list on the, the job description was to write out the law and to write it out carefully so that then it was even approved by um, the priests that it was a accurate um, transcription of the law. And then he was to read it uh, all the days of his life. And so the king was to be very much familiar with the word of God and obedient to the word of God. And so then as we jump into chapter 18, the intent last week on the schedule would have been that we would have walked through all of these different roles of leaders. So we would have looked at judges and kings, and then this week, priests and, and prophets. But we didn't get to chapter 18 last week. So if you're looking at your handout from last week, really it was just page two. Uh, I did print it off again this week with, I believe, very minor adjustments. So uh, either way, if you're looking at page two of last week's handout or the handout that was provided today, we'll be looking specifically at chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. So let me pray, and then we will walk through all the verses in this chapter. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for this morning as we gather as the people of God to worship you. 
we rightly open your word to hear from you. Um, God, may we be careful students of the word of God. May our love for you flow out in a love for your word and obedience to your word. Um, We would not know you if it weren't for your word. And so we find in in scripture uh, how to be made right with a holy God uh, in light of our sin. Our sin must be and can be dealt with through the person and work of, of Christ. And so being brought into a right relationship with you, now we delight in being able to gather to worship you and to make much of you. So I pray you'd be glorified through all that takes place today. Pray as we think upon even this chapter of instruction to Israel in regards to specific roles of of priests and prophets, that it would even inform us of just the importance of godliness, um, the sufficiency of scripture, and to rest in what you have given us in your more sure word. So I pray that we leave here with greater confidence in the word of God. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Um, It begins with some descriptions, some which is review. There actually is some new content here in these first eight verses in instruction regarding priests and Levites. And so, um, I already forgot that the term for, like if you say like all fish swim, but not all who swim are fish, like what's that called? What, that, that logic, uh, maybe it's not logical, maybe I'm just like losing my mind. But here in chapter 18, we're seeing the same thing uh, in regards to, to priests. So, um, all priests were, finish my sentence, Levites. Okay, good. But not all Levites were priests. And so then as you're looking at this section, we're seeing instruction that's given specifically to the priests. Um, Also, there is instruction for just Levites as a whole as well. And so really what, there's a, a wonderful just statement that's found here. So let's read through it and then just kind of reflect on, on what a wonderful truth it was for the Levites to know that the Lord indeed was their inheritance to know the Lord um, was to to have life and so for the Lord to be their inheritance the the Lord is their life and so let's read verses 1 through 8 verse 1 through 8 and then just interact with with a few of um, the verses that we we read so starting in verse 1 the Levitical priests all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance, and they shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priests due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, And the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. Uh, I will read verses six through eight in just a minute, but just, just reflect on the privilege it was for the Levites to have the Lord as their inheritance. What, what kind of rings out in these verses? 
of, of ways that the Lord indeed is their, their inheritance. Food. That's right. So you already just uh, the way that, so an offering unto the Lord was God's provision for then how the Levites would sustain themselves. And so just as much as the Lord is indeed their inheritance, the, the way that they're, um, they're provided for with the Lord as their inheritance is that the Lord would provide for them from the offerings that were given. And so this is actually new here. The specifics that are described of what is to be given to the priest, what is due the priest, when you read there in verse 3 of, you know, the um, shoulder, two cheeks, stomach, and then the first fruits of the grain. So then again, for the Lord your God has chosen him, it says, verse 5, out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord. Just as a neat little cross-reference, go over to Psalm 135. Uh, So this would be a call to worship amongst all who love the Lord. But if you think carefully about what is being stated in these first two verses of Psalm 135, you're even just seeing the, the privilege of service unto God in the life of a Levite. So Psalm 135 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. And so when you're just thinking, what a... There's no better place to be. What a, what a wonderful privilege it is to gather and then to rightly sing God's praises, to praise the Lord. Praises due to God alone. And so praise the Lord. Um, give praise, O servants. And verse 2 speaks of those who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Uh, that would certainly be true of the Levites and then anyone who would, who would be in God's house. It was just such a privilege to be in the presence of the Lord. And so then to think specifically of the Levites' privilege of being those who would lead the people in worship. And so you can read about that call in, in the Old Testament for, for certain Levites to be tasked with leading the people in worship. And so then you think of the, the priest's role in offering sacrifices. And so the, the Levites got to lead the people in worship. The priests would offer up these sacrifices. And even amongst the responsibilities of the Levites, not just specifically the priests, but Levites as a whole, there were responsibilities that the Levites would have in the care for the place of worship. And so, so you're just thinking of, of what a privilege it is to serve the Lord. Um, there, there's New Testament application for us as the church. And we think of when we gather in the role that... that um, of those in here serving today so that we can gather, so that we can then, in an undistracted way, worship our Lord. There's so many people who are offering service unto the Lord today, um, whether it's the fact that you don't have to, um, you know, set up your own table, or, you know, think of the nursery, or when you, as we sing songs, you know, the musicians that that have come together, and then those who teach and preach, and lead in the scripture. I mean, just all the different ministries it is to serve the Lord and the privilege that you find in serving the Lord as you lead other people into the praise of, of, um, of God. And so I think you're hearing a little bit of that in this reminder in, in Deuteronomy 18 of, of just what a privilege it was as a Levite, even if you think of what, what they don't get to do, right? They didn't get their own 
portion of land because the Lord is their portion and they delight in that role that the Lord has portioned for them. And so he will provide for them through this sacrificial system and even in other means as well for them. So anyway, verses one through eight just speak of that privileged role of the priests and the Levites. And so then in verse six, interesting that, that we read here, and if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel where he lives, and he may come when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose and ministers in the name of the Lord his God like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord. Then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. So it seems here that they're even seeing that if they're serving in one area and then they, they move to go, like when, when the Lord tells them the place that he has for them to worship, if the certain Levites desire to go and serve there at the place that God has ascribed for them to worship, they're free to do so. They can go and serve um, if, 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 um, if that's what, verse six, if that's where they desire, uh, um, he may come when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose. And so there certainly was just a privilege amongst the Levites to serve the Lord faithfully, um, and it was their inheritance. So then let's then move to a category that is not uh, pleasing to the Lord, uh, something that the Israelites must guard against. Verses 1 through 8 spoke of the role of the priests and the Levites. And then again, another warning. This, is, this has been repeated already, so it's again review. Verses 9 through 14. Abominable practices are again listed. These should not even be present, right? Because they're supposed to be destroyed when they enter into the land. But we keep seeing these reminders. Let's say that you don't end up obeying and, and there are these abominable practices around you. Have nothing to do with them. Verses 9 through 14 say, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Let's just pause here for a second. When you think of the evil of that act, to read of a, a father who would burn his son or his daughter as an offering, you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? Why would someone do such a, an abominable deed? And when you start to see what else it's linked with here in these verses, there are nine abominable practices that are listed in these verses. And all of them seem to be related to some desire to manipulate God or hear from God or to communicate with God. And so what, what must have been going on in this pagan worship, and, and you actually even read of an event where this happens in, in a particular battle in the scriptures where things are not going well for a pagan nation. And so in, in an effort to manipulate their God to help them in this battle, the king just goes off and, and sacrifices his son. And so here I think what you're seeing when this first abominable deed is listed is that it is included in a bunch of acts where um, pagans sought to hear from God. Pagans sought to manipulate events. Pagan worship sought to communicate with the dead in order to communicate with God. So, so these all seem to be categories of, of just a desire to communicate with their false God 
and to change their false god's mind and to manipulate events. So just kind of follow through this list of abominable deeds. Again, repeating just this um, awful one in verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer um, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You, well, actually, let me just stop here. Reading through verse 12, and then provide for you guys a question that is answered in the following verses. But maybe you could just even try and answer. There's, there's a variety of reasons. There are three reasons given why Israel is to have nothing to do with these abominable practices. Um, and maybe even without looking at the text, what, what comes to mind? Why is Israel not to have anything to do with these abominable practices that are listed in 9 through 12? Any reasons come to mind? Practiced by the Canaanites. Yeah, it's, okay, it's, it's not the, remember we've already, there's only one true God and there's a right way to approach the right God. And so that's what they've been commanded to do. And so this, this pagan worship of the Canaanites, it's worshiping false gods and it's um, worshiping in false ways. So that would be a true statement. They have nothing to do with pagan worship. But a, a standard is given here in verses 13 and 14, the, some of the reasons that would remind the Israelites why they should have nothing to do with this pagan worship is they're a blameless people. They're they to be holy. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. They are to be set apart. They're to be distinct from the other nations. They're to be different. They worship the one true God and they're going to worship the one true God God's way. Uh, verse 14 though also reminds us you know, they're to be blameless, but verse 14 says, For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And so, again, it's pretty obvious, but just remember, they're called to be set apart, and God has actually commanded them to forbid them to have anything to do with this type of worship. And so, who knows how many times up to this point God has said, you are not to do this. You are not to do this. You are not allowed to do this, is how this section ends. They're not to have any attempts to manipulate God, to foretell the future, to communicate with the dead, because they're set apart. They're distinct from the rest of the world, uh, and, they, uh, and God has forbid them to do so. Verse 15, though, is a very positive reason why they are not to seek out foretelling the future, why they're not to seek out um, changing the future, why they're not to seek out speaking to the dead. Verse 15 tells them, again, this is not a social experiment. The God has a plan for them. Verse 15 says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so this is where I hope that we get to land for most of our time right now, is to think carefully upon the, this wonderful promise that is given in verses 15 through 19. They don't need to practice these pagan attempts to communicate with God because God is going to communicate with them. Uh, he is, he's going to ri raise up prophets 
that will speak God's word to them. And so they already have a prophet. It's Moses. Uh, And there's been other language of, of prophets prior to Moses. But Moses is their prophet. And we're seeing here in verse 15 that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen. So looking through uh, these verses, just kind of look for certain descriptions of or qualifications of the prophet this, that will be like Moses. What are, what are some of the things you read in verses 15 through 19? So even just reading in verse 15 that uh, he's from among you. We talked about this with kings, you know, is to be an Israelite from among them. Verse 15 of chapter 18 speaks of the prophet in the same way, that um, a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And so it would be an Israelite. And um, verse 18, uh, um, he will speak whatever I command him. And that really mirrors what Jesus is saying through all of John. Interesting. He'll speak what the Father tells him. Yeah. I, he'll, he'll speak what I command him. And then you're thinking of how that's fulfilled in Christ. It's very good. So he's going he's gonna, to um, speak all that I command is what verse 18 says. And, and prior to saying that he's going to speak all that I command, what else is God going to do um, through this prophet uh, prior to that in verse 18? God's going to, go ahead. That's, that's right. So, so God, uh, it's God um, speaking through the prophet. God's going to put his words in their mouth. Uh, turn over to Jeremiah real quick, just to kind of re- read of just other prophets of old who would have understood this reality. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. Jeremiah 1, 9 says, Then, uh, still some turning here, I'll slow down. Jeremiah 1, 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And, um, so then, as you read through, the words that Jeremiah has to say, these are the words of God. As you look at verse 9, I have put my words in your mouth. So as you're walking through the scriptures, if you're reading in, in any of these prophets, if you're reading Isaiah, you're reading in, in Ezekiel, similar language is used often of that um, these are, God said, God says, the Lord says, you know, these words that God puts in their mouth. So the prophet would be raised up from among them. God would put his words in their mouth and they will speak all that I command. And so there is fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, 15 in, in the, the prophets that God would raise up in the Old Testament. So there's near fulfillment, certainly, of this, this promise to Israel that God would raise up a prophet to speak to them, to give them the commands of God. Um, but there's this ultimate fulfillment um, in Christ. And it's just beautiful to think through it. And I, at least on two occasions, it's come up in, in the Gospel of John as, as we've been walking through as, as a church. But just to think of this prophecy that's given in verse 15 and 18 of this, uh, this new prophet like Moses and to see how that is um, 
perfectly fulfilled in Christ. So the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So who's me again? When it says a prophet like me? Moses. Very good. Okay, so let's just go back real quick uh, to remind ourselves a little bit about Moses. Go to Numbers chapter 12. Okay, so we're just going to cross-reference a variety of texts just to kind of build up to this fulfillment in Christ. If you think of of Moses in Numbers 12, verses 6 through 8, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So when, when Miriam is being corrected for, for this complaining, speaking against Moses, and then God reminds of this special role that Moses plays as God's prophet and how God has, uh, you, you read this exact language of um, I speak mouth to mouth, verse 8 says, clearly and not in riddles. Um, He beholds the form of the Lord. So Moses was this unique prophet. And so then when you move to the end of Deuteronomy, you even see that uh, there awaits this prophet that will be like Moses. So in Deuteronomy 34, I'll start in verse 9. Uh, Turn there, Deuteronomy 34, verses 9 and 10. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And so, so if you're thinking of what Deuteronomy 18:15 prophesies, this promise from God raising up this new prophet like Moses, and then the way that the book of Deuteronomy ends, you are waiting for this prophet when it says, uh, and there has not, verse 10, arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Okay, so with that, it's just begging us now to turn to the New Testament. And if you think of this, uh, even this, these 400 years uh, of, of silence from, from God, the, the Israel longs to, to hear from God. And so then as, as we have walked through in the Gospel of John, it makes, it just gives added weight to what's going on here as you jump in uh, with John the Baptist in verse 19. John chapter 1, verses 19, it says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, um, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so, so this is review, I think, in a lot of our minds. But as you read that in verse 21, John 1, 21, when they're asking, are you Deuteronomy 18, 15? Are, are you this prophet that, that God's going to raise up that is, um, like Moses? And John's answer is, I am not. So then turn over to John chapter 6. Okay, so after the feeding of the 5,000, 
just to kind of enter into the context, I'll just, I'll just end with, with the, the remainder here, verse 13. So they gathered them up, uh, all the remaining food, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So you're thinking five loaves, two fish, then God feeds um, the, the 5,000 and then there's food remaining. And so when the people see this, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So there just was this expectation, this awaiting of the promise that God had given in Deuteronomy 18. So, so certainly God's going to continue to provide prophets in the life of Israel. Um, that He's going to put his words in their mouth. They're going to speak the very words of God. And you read of those prophets throughout the Old Testament. But there is this, this prophet to come that is... Um, that God is going to put his words in their mouth. They're going to speak what God has them speak. Um, he will speak all that I command. And there's this expectation in the New Testament for this prophet to come. And so let's look at a sermon that the apostles give that remind us that this indeed is fulfilled in Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 3. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up. Verse 17. And now, brothers, Acts chapter 3. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And so as you read of, of this preaching on Christ, uh, the person of Christ, and, and that very much clearly showing that, that Christ has fulfilled what was pro prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, that this new prophet like Moses very much is fulfilled in Christ. And so turn back to Deuteronomy 18 because why this matters is to obey the words of the prophet is to obey God. To disobey is to disobey God. And so when you read through in Deuteronomy 18, this instruction that is given in regards to a right response to God's prophets, it's very important that you're able to distinguish between true and false prophecy. And so let's just jump back into the text. Uh, verse 15. 15 spoke of this um, raising up of a prophet. Verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, they needed a mediator. They needed someone to speak God's words to them. Um, when you think of what happened at Horeb, uh, 
their cry, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. Verse 19, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So verse 19, why this matters is to disobey the, um, the words of the prophet would be to disobey God. And so you'd think a question would come in your mind, how am I going to know if this is a true prophet, if this is a false prophet? Because you would be held accountable for not listening to the words of God's prophet. So verse 19, or verse 20, graciously provides for us some descriptions of, of those who would be presumptuous prophets, those who were false prophets, those who spoke, um, but not from God. So verse 20 says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Uh, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Okay, so just real quick, observations made. How do we discern a false prophet based on, on Deuteronomy 18. Okay, that's right. What they say doesn't come to pass. That uh, speaks a word that does not come to pass. Verse 22. What else? Some are more obvious than others. Like uh, what I mean by that is like if somebody did one of these things that's listed here, that clearly communicates false prophet. But it's still, you know, in this list of observations here. What, what's another observation? A false prophet is going to... So in verse 20 at the end, uh -huh. it says... Um, I lost my place. Yeah, you're right, though. At the end of yeah, 20... It, which he speaks in the name of other gods. So that's kind of a dead giveaway. Right that's there. right. You're like, okay, that, that was not tough to, like, discern here. But there you go. There's a false prophet. If they're, they're speaking for other gods, you know, that's not God's prophet. If they're, they're speaking... Other gods, uh, speaking from other gods. Yeah, that's right. So speaks in the name of other gods. Uh, don't lose sight of the fact that that is evidence of a, a false prophet. And a false prophet also is going to speak a word that does not come to pass, as, um, as Martha was pointing out in verse 22. But even at the beginning of verse 20, maybe something that was, uh, would be harder to discern. Um, but in verse 20 at the beginning, it says, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak. Let's just kind of think practically here. Um, and in fact, there actually were some qualifications back in chapter 13 that would help us with this. But what would be some ways to discern? And perhaps verses 20b and 22 are the answer here. But what are some ways to discern if someone presumes to speak from God but the words that they're speaking are not commanded uh, for him to speak from God. What, what would be some evidence that the, what they're saying is not word from the Lord commanded to speak? It disagrees with something. That's right. At, at, so I almost feel like I heard at conflict with, and then you said disagrees. When you think of, um, 
if there's prophecy that is communicated that isn't consistent with God's um, instruction previously, uh, that's, that's just a dead giveaway that this, this is not God's man. This is not a prophet of the Lord. What, it's even interesting to me to think of the, all the ways that this still happens today. Uh, any just examples that come to mind of, of ways that, that people speak as if they're hearing extra biblical revelation from God that's not consistent with God's more sure word? Any just thoughts? I mean, if we, if we just think about all the ways that society kind of perverts the teachings of Jesus, say inclusion, you know, I mean, think of the whole uh, homosexual transgender movement, that, that type of thing. So they're going to end up redefining certain language of what it means to, and then and saying this is clearly what, what, what God would want. And then they speak, they speak as if they're speaking the words of God and what they're saying is in rebellion against God's word. Yes. Passion translation. Oh, interesting. So you, then you, I don't know that I know exactly what you're referring to, but you're saying like when someone like will presume to be translating the scripture, but it's not accurate. Yeah, the guy that wrote the book, from what I've read, he um, said that God gave him this new word. Interesting. And that's why he was making the tra- passion translation. Okay. It fits in with a lot of the stuff um, of these churches that don't exactly fit with the word. How about that? And so then, then who are you to argue with God, right? If you're, if you're arguing with God's word. Yeah, they, the yeah. word from God. Right. That's why he created this translation. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so then we need to be discerning and think very carefully. We go to the scriptures. You're seeing the sufficiency of scripture in a variety of ways, actually, in this, this chapter. I was thinking about it um, back to before the description of the prophets, just think of the temptation that the Israelites would have. Man, this would be so fun to, to manipulate the future. <laughs> this would be so fun to, to speak to, and, and fun is probably not the right word. I just mean that it's an attractive thing that they kind of wish they could do the special things that other people were doing, that a quest for more, a desire to hear more from God than what God has given them. Uh, they, wanted to, they wanted to foretell the future, but not according to God's wisdom. They wanted to, they wanted to change God's mind as if God wasn't wise they want to communicate with the dead. That's what these pagan practices did. And so then what you're seeing, the next section of chapter 18, after it says, don't do these abominable practices, this call, this reminder that God is going to rise, raise up a prophet like Moses, they're just being reminded, listen, God is going to provide everything you need. Uh, he's given you this land. He's got this plan for you in this land. And he's, he's, he's He's going to raise up prophets that will speak the very words of God. You will hear from God. God is going to speak to you through these prophets. And so then for us, if we struggle too with the same desire, man, I sure wish, I I remember even hearing, reading this in the introduction to that. um, This is not a book recommendation. This is a, this is a, but like when, so the intro for that book, Jesus Calling, I think she uses that very language of like, she got bored with, I'm putting words in her mouth communicates almost like a boredom with God's word and the words that she does use is that she had a quest for more um, than, than what she had. And that was what the desire was to hear more from God. And so I think you're kind of seeing that here. This would be an application for us too. Like we don't need these other things. God's word is sufficient. It's a more sure word. He's given us the scriptures. And so what a gracious provision it is from God to read 
of this, the prophets of God that speak God's word and the qualifications that lay out what that prophet would look like and then clear distinctions of those who would profess to be from God, but they're not. So when they presume to be from God and they speak something that's in contradiction to God's word, it's not God's word. Uh, Galatians would have something to say about that too. Like if you even, you know, anyone that comes and says anything that's not in accordance with God's word, it's not from God. And then what if they speak from another God? Well, that's not from God. And what if what they say never comes to pass? That's not from God. Those are tests for these false prophets that they're not to listen to. In fact, the very last statement, we'll close with this. It tells us you don't need to fear them. You need not be afraid of him. So even if what they're prophesying is, you know, a fearful outcome, don't fear that because it's not true. It's not accurate. It's not authoritative. It's not from God. So don't fear that presumptuous prophet. Don't fear that presumptuous prophet's false prophecy. What would be implied, though, by saying you don't need to fear false prophets? The opposite. The opposite. That's right. So when, when God's man speaks, when God, when God would raise up a prophet, thus saith the Lord, and you read the very words of God through the mouths of the, the prophets of old as you read through the Old Testament, and when you, as we study in John um, the words of Christ, and, and we read about what Christ taught, uh, and the, this fear of God, this this um, reverence for God, this attention that is given to God's word, to pay careful attention to what it says, to understand what it means, to obey what it requires. That is the fearful, right response to God's word. So don't fear these these false prophets. Um, Fear God alone. So this all in 1618 through chapter 18 just points to God's wisdom and his gracious provision in providing these leaders that are going to lead God's people. Yeah, Rod. Yeah, just, uh, I think it's interesting that this definition of a prophet does not change to the New Testament. And I think that's an unfortunate mm. Grudem and others have come out and said oh, that somewhere on the blank spaces of the New Testament and Old Testament, prophets today can make mistakes. Hmm. Prophets, people who call themselves prophets today can't say things that don't come true. <laughs> prophets that speak today can mess up, you know, basically. I mean, and you find no place where the rules change or the definition of prophet change. So these guys that take on the label of prophet today, you know, it's just like uh, they have no rules and they can say anything and they do say anything and they get a following and uh, they, you know, it's just, uh, it's just really sad because it's like you said earlier, somebody mentioned earlier, <laughs> they're viewed as a prophet. They, they say something, and who are you to question God? That's exactly how they That's the argument, it's right? of authority, and it's sad. As much as I like Grudem, I, you know, he is so wrong in his commentary on that, hmm. uh, or his, uh, his theology on that. Mm-hmm. It, it opens up the whole charismatic, continuationist, we have no sure word, the word is constantly changing because these men have these visions and, and they put them on people and they make predictions. Trump is going to win. Trump is going to lose. I don't know. They say all these kinds of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. little things, all kinds of stuff. So anyway, just a yeah. yeah. Thanks for that comment. Yeah, and even as you're just making that, that statement and the illustration that was given just a few minutes ago, I mean, that, 
that last statement in Deuteronomy 18 is, is our right response to, to that false claim of, well, who are you to, to argue with God? And we're not arguing with God. We're, we're not afraid uh, of you. You need not be afraid of him, that one who professes to speak from God, but they fail to, to meet up with God's standard of what it actually looked like to be a true prophet raised up from God. Um, okay, so... Uh, Next week, we'll jump into chapter 19, and there's going to be a switch now as we start looking at some practical um, rules that are going to relate to a variety of subjects. But I do think there's this consistent theme of just um, upholding the sanctity of life as you read through uh, so much of the instruction that's given, whether it's talking about these cities of refuge or whether it's even just how you mark out land, um, how you deal with unsolved murders. Uh, those are popular shows today, right? So you might be back next week. We got unsolved mysteries coming on in chapter 21. But, um, and then even like at the end of chapter 21, just about female captives, all of these, that this, this would directly apply to Israel. And there's not a direct application to us here as a church, but we are seeing God's view of the, the imago Dei. God, God created man in his image. And so we uphold the sanctity of life. And so these laws that would have been laid out for Israel certainly uphold the sanctity of life. And that's what we'll be looking at next week. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. God, you've given us all we need for life and godliness. Um, we would never be able to know all that there is to know uh, about you, but you have given us all that we need. And so we delight in, in your revelation to us in your, your word. So may we be, even as the kings of Israel were to be, uh, people of the book, that they were to know the word and to obey the word, um, that it would be on their minds all their days. So may that be true of us as individuals, true of us as a church. Now as we go into this main service and we seek to worship you and we look forward to hearing from you as the word of God is proclaimed. So may we just be a people of the book who, who delight in, um, in studying and worshiping you. Um, may we leave here with a greater knowledge of, of you so we can glorify you in, in every area of our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.